Uh, welcome. Let's take our Bibles tonight, please, and, and uh, return to Judges, uh, our Wednesday night series. We'll be in chapter 15 tonight, Judges chapter 15. Uh, we're looking here at uh, lessons, biblical lessons from the life of Samson. In chapter 13, we saw Samson's birth, and we focused on the observation that his dad seemed to be quite teachable. And that's a good thing. It's especially a good thing for men to remember as we get older and, and maybe more inclined to think that we've got it all figured out, we've got it all down, we need to stay teachable. Uh, in chapter 14, we saw the account of Samson's first marriage, and of course there was some error, there was some... Uh, dishonoring of his Nazarite vow that went along with that. We focused on the observation that although Samson had made decisions that pretty plainly were not in God's will, uh, God nonetheless carried out his will through Samson and, and his error. We saw, you understand Samson has been called by God at least to begin overthrowing the, the Philistine oppression that, that God has allowed and uh, Samson really wasn't there. He wasn't necessarily heading in that direction, but nonetheless, God found a way to use him to begin that process. And tonight in chapter 15, we're going to see God to continue, Gary, to carry out his plan, despite the fact that Samson seems to be more focused on uh, his own life issues than what God necessarily intended for him to be focusing on. And uh, in all of that, again, we'll see the, the absolute sovereignty of our God. He will work in our lives to accomplish his purposes as he sees fit, uh, whether or not we play along at times. And uh, that, of course, goes to the, uh, the goodness, uh, but perhaps even more to the um, omnipotence, the authority, and the sovereignty of God. So uh, with that said, let's bow our heads. I'd like to pray, and uh, we'll uh, jump right into Judges chapter 15 tonight. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for our church. Lord, thank you for those who have come out tonight, as well as for those who may be watching uh, this message, listening to this message. Lord, I pray tonight that you will help us to see that which you desire us to see tonight. Lord, let me not be in the way of anyone here in this building uh, seeing something that you have specifically for them. Of course, uh, Lord, I desire to be led of you tonight as I teach your words. Guide my thoughts, please. And Father, I pray tonight that you would also show us in our hearts, convict us in our hearts how you would have us to apply these things. Lord, it is definitely not your desire tonight that we would only know what your word says and what the principles are that we can distill from it. But Lord, you desire to apply, to apply these things to our lives for our sanctification and for your glory. And so, Lord, I pray that you would accomplish that here in our midst tonight. Lord, thank you again for our church and for our Savior and uh, for, for my brothers and sisters who are here tonight. Lord, I thank you for them. I appreciate them, and I ask you to bless them. And I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Look back at the end of verse, uh, or should say chapter 14, please. Uh, you saw there in, in chapter 14, Samson was upset, and uh, Gary kind of flew off in, in a rage, and he went and he, he killed a number of men. He killed 30 men of Ascalon, the Bible says. Uh, see this here in uh, chapter 14, uh, uh, must be verse 18. I think I have a wrong in my notes. Uh, chapter 14 and verse, uh, well, look here at, uh, bear with me one second. The Bible says in verse 19, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon, that's exactly where I want to be, uh, and slew 30 men of them took their spoil and gave change of garments unto them which, were exp which um, expounded the riddle. And his anger was kindled, and he went up to his father's house. Uh, so he had flown off in a rage at his discovery that the, uh, Mrs. Sampson had shared the riddle uh, with uh, the men, and uh, he was not happy about that at all. Verse 20 of the Bible says, but Samson's wife... Uh, was given to his companion. Samson left. Uh, he, he flew off in a rage and, and, and left town 
And so Samson's father evidently uh, believes that Samson is gone and he's not coming back. He'll say as much in, in the next verse in chapter 15. Samson's wife was given to his companion um, whom he had used as his friend. Remember, they had to find some uh, strangers to serve as his friends. And this, this man here, probably his best man at his wedding, seems to be the case at least. Uh, Samson's wife is given to that man because Samson is gone. As far as everyone knows, he's, he's not coming back. Well, let's pick it up here in, in verse uh, chapter 15, here, here in verse 1. Uh, Samson comes back now, and uh, he attempts to visit his wife, and he brings a gift, uh, a kid, the Bible says. This would be a young goat. This would be a meal. Uh, he brings a gift, and it looks like maybe he's hoping to smooth things over. Uh, Judges 15, verse 1 says this, But it came to pass within uh, a while after, uh, in the time of the wheat harvest, some time has gone by, it seems, that Samson visited uh, his wife with a kid, young goat, this is a gift uh, for food, <laughs> evidently. And, and he said, I will go into my wife, into the chamber, but her father, his father-in-law, her father, would not suffer him or allow him to go in. Dad said, no. Uh, he explains in verse 2, her father said, I verily, I truly thought that thou hadst utterly hated her. Listen, I thought you hated her. You, you, you took off, you, you ran off. Uh, I thought you hated her. Uh, therefore, I gave her to thy companion. Uh, I thought she was left without a husband, having just been married. I thought you were gone, so uh, I gave her to thy companion. Uh, looks like it was the best man. Uh, is not her younger sister fairer than she? Do you understand the question? Uh, her father says, listen, uh, I've given her to uh, your buddy over there. Sorry, that's, that's been done. That's been accomplished. But, but take a look at her sister. Is, isn't she prettier? Uh, is not her younger sister fairer than she? Uh, take her, I pray, I ask thee, uh, instead of her. So he's trying to make it right to Samson. Uh, he would not have wanted Samson to be on his wrong side. He's seen some things. He knows some things. He's heard some things. He's trying to smooth it over. Uh, but Samson, uh, Brother Art, he's not having it. He's very upset. Uh, his wife has been given to, again, I, I think it's his best man is the idea. Uh, verse 3 says this. Here, here's how he responds. The uh, Bible says, Samson said concerning them, now... Shall I be more blameless than the Philistines, though I do them a displeasure? He says, you know, I, I, I will, I'm going to carry out some justice here, uh, and it'll be just. I, I will be justified. Uh, I'll be justified. Uh, he says, I shall be more blameless than the Philistines. I'll be justified in whatever vengeance uh, I take here. He says, though I do them uh, a displeasure. Displeasure here is translated from the same word as evil, uh, and in this context, has the idea of trouble. He's, he's going to mete out some trouble. He's going to mete out some uh, retaliation for uh, what has happened to him here. He's, he's lost his wife. Now, Gary, isn't it his fault? Isn't he the one that flew off in a rage and left town and uh, went, went out and was focused on other things? Now he's come back. It seems to me that it's his fault, but uh, he's losing sight here of his own responsibility uh, and having lost sight of his own responsibility, he decides to retaliate against someone. And uh, everything seems to get a little bit confused here. And isn't that the way it is sometimes? When, when you lose sight of your own responsibility uh, for some bad outcome, some consequence for your own action, uh, you, can, you can allow things to get kind of stirred up in your head and you can begin to blame others uh, and you can find yourself in a place where rather than accepting responsibility uh, for your own wrong actions, you blame someone else uh, and, and you go after them. And boy, that's just, that's part of our sin nature. And that's, uh, before we're done here tonight, I want us to see that this is, this is something that we need to stand guard against. We need to be a people who say, you know what, we're sinners. Uh, and when we sin and the Holy Spirit taps us on the shoulder or prods us in the heart, we need to be very quick to say, yep, Lord, sure enough, as you've said, I am guilty. Uh, I take responsibility. I confess. I forsake. Lord, help me to put off the sin, put on obedience, make it right however I need to do that. Uh, that's not where Samson is here. He, he would have done well to pray and confess, Lord, help me for, uh, for being, uh, forgive me for being irresponsible, not being with my wife. 
uh, forgive me for running. He doesn't do that. He's looking for someone else to blame. And so he blames the Philistines and uh, he, he sets out to get after them in quite an unusual way. And I think you, you probably remember this, Gary. In verse 4, the Bible says, uh, Samson went and caught 300 foxes uh, and took firebrands. Zach, those are torches. So he's got 300 foxes and he's got torches, firebrands. Uh, he turned uh, the foxes tail to tail uh, and put a firebrand in the midst between two tails, uh, the tails of the foxes. So Gary, if I understand correctly, he's taken foxes two by two and he's tied them together and he's put a uh, torch, a burning torch between each of the two foxes uh, and then he sets them loose into the fields of the Philistines. And uh, it's, it's the harvest season, so things are going to be getting kind of dry and uh, they're going to be pretty easy to burn, and, and that's exactly what Samson's um, intention is here, to, uh, to get back at the Philistines for the wrong that uh, he would say they have done to him by burning their fields. Verse 5 says this, when he had set the brands, that's the torches, on fire, uh, he let them go. He let the foxes go into the standing corn of the Philistines. Again, it would have been quite dry and easy to burn at this time of year. Uh, and burnt up both the shocks, this would be the harvested stacks, if it was corn, they would have been stacked up, stalk and all, and perhaps it was wheat. Uh, we have, uh, our translation uses the word corn, that, that's a fine translation, but what, no matter what grain it was, some of it was uh, harvested and, and stood up, and that would have been very dry. This is the shocks, also the standing corn. Uh, with the vineyards and uh, the olives. So the, olive, the vineyards and the olive orchards uh, are burned also. This is uh, quite a severe uh, form of retaliation here. And what's, what wrong has been done to Samson up to this point, Zach? What wrong has been done to him? Uh, he left wrongly. Uh, he came back and after a period of time, some months, and he finds that his wife has been given to another man uh, and the explanation is a good one. Hey, we, we thought you were gone not coming back. That's, uh, that, that seems reasonable, but uh, he's going to retaliate against uh, all of the Philistines now, and uh, he's burned their fields. He's burned their fields. Now, uh, Gary, do you suppose they like that? Do you suppose, you suppose they were just thrilled? They said, well, you know, Samson's dad, Samson's father-in-law did Samson wrong, so suppose it's just probably okay that... Uh, Samson burnt down our fields. That, that, that seems fair. Well, of course, that does not seem fair at all. They are not happy, and now they uh, want to retaliate, and um, they, uh, you know, if they're going to retaliate, they probably should retaliate against, against Samson, but who do they retaliate? Well, they do. They retaliate against him uh, by going and burning uh, the home of Samson's father-in-law, his wife, uh, Samson's wife uh, and her father are evidently killed in this fire. This is tragic. Verse 6 says this, Then the Philistines said, Who hath done this? Who's burned our fields? Uh, and they answered, Samson. Someone answered, Samson, the son of the uh, law, the son-in-law, the son-in-law of the Timnite, uh, because he had taken his wife and given her to his companions. They know, they know that uh, Samson is the one who's done this. Uh, and, and they're going to retaliate against him now uh, by going after uh, the Timnite, Samson's father-in-law, uh, and his wife. Second part of the verse says, verse 6, The Philistines came up and burnt her and her father uh, with fire. Janet, that's, that's tragic. It's just a tragic scene here. Uh, everybody's angry and everybody's being carried away by their emotions. And it's ratcheted up from one thing to a bigger thing to another thing uh, until now uh, two people have been killed. Crops have been uh, burnt and, and two people have been killed. By the way, it has been noted that um, Samson's wife back in chapter 14, remember a threat had been made against her, right? And she was threatened with death with the burning uh, of the house and, and her father if she did not betray Samson. Uh, and of course she betrayed Samson uh, because of her fear that she'd be killed and perhaps her father would be killed as well. And 
well, sure enough, hadn't betrayed Samson, she's been killed anyway. So uh, none of this is good. Uh, none of this is good. Uh, both sides of the equation have been carried off in their emotions, and retaliation has begat, begat retaliation. Well, Samson vows further retaliation, so uh, it's just ratcheting up. It seems like it's a, it's a self-perpetuating cycle. And in verse 7, Samson, the Bible says, Samson said unto them, uh, Though ye have done this, yet will I be avenged of you. After that, I will cease. He was very confident that uh, he would accomplish his even greater revenge against them, uh, and he would stop. He would choose to stop when he had done that. Uh, verse 8 says this, and uh, it says, He smote them hip and thigh with a what? What does it say there? With a what? Great slaughter. Uh, Brother Ray, this, this does not look like a small thing. They've, they've killed two people that are important to him. Uh, and so he comes and he smokes them hip and thigh. There's debate about what hip and thigh here means. Uh, but what we can know for sure is that uh, he killed many. The Bible says it was a great slaughter. Uh, and he went down after that and dwelt uh, in the top of the rock, Atom. So uh, revenge and revenge and revenge. That what would have been a better way? Uh, what would have been a better way? Seems to me it would have been better if Samson had tried to speak to his father-in-law about the situation. Of course, it would have been even better if Samson had prayed about who he should marry and where he should go to find a wife all the way back in chapter 14. Uh, if Samson's father-in-law uh, was unwilling to right the situation, and I would dare say at this point he would not have been willing uh, to give her back to Samson. Samson, you know, again, should have prayed, should have sought the Lord's counsel, should have uh, sought to have been as godly as possible, but he does not, and he just begins to retaliate, and the cycle spirals up and up and up. Now, Gary, I want to say this. I'm going to stop there again and say this. It would seem to me that even though Samson is acting all the way through this account in a way that God would not have desired, that God is nonetheless still using Samson's choices to begin accomplishing God's will. So the same thing that we said last week at the end of chapter 14, uh, we could say here, we understand that God's raised up Samson as the next judge. And we understand that the first order of business for a new judge during a time of oppression uh, was to go into battle against the uh, enemy who's oppressing God's people, uh, to put off the oppressor so that God's people uh, could again ha have their liberty and enjoy their liberty and uh, be separated from um, their oppressors and so forth. So they go forth and accomplish God's will. Samson is, is clearly not working uh, in God's will here, and yet God is able to step into the equation uh, and accomplish his purposes. God is sovereign. Uh, God is sovereign. Uh, we know that Samson should have been led of the Lord into battle against the Philistines uh, to begin throwing off that oppression. He has not sought God and, and God's direction to do that, but he has uh, flown off in a rage and accomplished that. God is working sovereignly in his even in his disobedience, uh, even in his violation of his vow along the way to sovereignly accomplish his purposes. We have a sovereign God. Uh, his will will be accomplished. Look at verse 9. The Philistines, uh, those that have survived, they're not happy. Uh, now Samson has burned their fields, uh, and he's committed a great slaughter. We don't know how many people he's killed in verse 8, but, but they know, and they are not happy. Uh, so they're, they're going to come after Samson. Uh, they want to arrest him. Verse 9 says this, Then the Philistines went up uh, and pitched in Judah. So they've got an army together, and they go into Judah, and they encamp there. They're going to find Samson. Uh, the Bible says they spread themselves in Lehi, uh, which literally means jaw. Lehi is the Hebrew word, just straight, brought straight in, transliterated into English. Uh, it means jaw. Shake your head if you know what that's alluding to. You know what that's alluding to. Okay, verse 10. The men of Judah said, why? The men of Judah said to them, to the Philistines, 
Um, remember, the, the men of Judah, uh, children of God, they're under the oppression of the, the Philistines. Uh, and, you know, they've been at peace. They're not stirring up trouble. They've, they've been at peace. Uh, the men of Judah said, why, uh, hey, Philistines, why are ye, you all, come up against us? And they answered, to bind Samson. We're here to take him, to bind him. Uh, are we come up and to do to him as he hath done to us. Uh, I, I would dare say, Gary, that it, they intend to take him and probably humiliate him for a time, maybe subject him to some kind of mock trial. But in the end, they, they clearly intend to kill him uh, at some point. So the men of Judah hear this. They, they see that a Philistine army has come into Judah uh, the peace has been uh, clearly threatened by Samson and the situation. Uh, and so the men of Judah raise up an army. Uh, they raise up an army. And do you remember what the purpose of this army is? What would you think the purpose would be? Zach, what would you think the purpose would be? Uh, you, you would hope that the people would recognize that God has raised up a, uh, a judge uh, to liberate us, and if they're going to raise up an army, you would hope it would be to go after their oppressors uh, under the direction of Samson to uh, conquer this invading army, th these oppressors, but it's not. It's not that at all. Uh, Judah raises up an army. This is the only time we see them raising up an army, uh, at least in this part of Scripture, uh, to go and take Samson so that he can be turned over to the uh, invading, oppressing Philistines. Look at verse 11 and 12. We'll read this, make a couple comments. Uh, here the Bible says, Then 3,000 men of Judah, 3,000 men of Judah, went to the top of the rock, Atom, uh, and said to Samson, Knowest thou not that the Philistines are rulers over us? Hey, man, why are you messing with them? Don't you understand that they, they rule over us? Uh, they, they're a conquering enemy who has uh, subjected us to rule. And, you know, things have been pretty peaceful. Why, why are you messing with that? What is this that thou hast done unto us? Why, why have you gone and, and burnt their fields and, and committed a great slaughter there? Why have you done this to us? He said unto them, as they did unto me, so have I done unto them. They did me wrong, I did them wrong. They did me bad, Gary, I did them bad. That's his answer. Verse 12 says, and they said unto him, we are come down to bind thee. They haven't come down to go after the Philistines. They came to arrest Samson and turn him over. We are come down to bind thee that or so that we may deliver thee into the hands of the Philistines. That's not a good situation. Uh, that's not a good situation. Um, what's happening here? Why are they, why are they where they are? Why, why, is, why is this the place where, where they are at. Well, consider a couple of things. Uh, what should Samson have done? Uh, what should Samson have been doing uh, at this time? What, what should he have been doing? Thoughts? What should he have been doing? Um, it seems to me, Zach, that he should have been seeking God's will and seeking God's plan. And I rather suspect that if he had done that, God would have said, hey, man, you need to organize an army and you need to go in my strength and my power, which God has already demonstrated to him, right? And God's going to do that again. Uh, you, you organize these men into an army and, and you go in my strength, uh, in my time, uh, in my power, and, and you liberate my people from, from this enemy. Uh, Samson surely should have been seeking God's will for his life and for his time of service as a judge, and I rather suspect that God might have directed him uh, accordingly. He has not done that, and so there's a real lack of leadership here. The people have no 
They have no leader organizing them and guiding and directing them into God's will. So there's a crisis of leadership here. There's, there's uh, Samson who doesn't seem real interested in leading. He seems more interested in living his own life rather than leading uh, God's people. And so they're, um, they're really very much without a leader and without leadership. Um, and, and Gary, it would also seem that the people have a problem in addition to that. It would seem to me that uh, they have decided that the situation that they are in is quite okay. Uh, why are they in the situation that they're in? Brother Art, do you remember? Uh, why, why are the children of Israel uh, under the oppression of the Philistines at this time? Do you remember why that is? Uh, it's because they, they had fallen into sin, right? That's, it's the cycle that we keep seeing. They, uh, they would fall into sin, and God would raise up a judge, and uh, as the judge sought God, God would lead the judge to uh, overtake, overcome the oppressors, and uh, there would be a peace. And uh, thankfully, we've seen that peace continue for a time in, in some cases. Uh, and as the people stayed faithful and stayed obedient to God, God blessed them with, with peace, and there's been hints of prosperity and various blessings uh, as they have obeyed God. But uh, here, the, the judge is on the scene, but the, he's not leading, uh, and the people don't seem terribly interested in being led. They seem more interested in just being at peace uh, as conquered people than being liberated from uh, a a corrective suppression uh, in getting back to the business that God has called them to, a separate nation uh, called to carry out God's purposes as separate people, uh, not a conquered people, but a separate people who are liberated uh, for God's service. They seem to value just a calm peace in the land over what needs to be done in order to get them back to the place that God wants them to be in. May I say this? It looks to me like they've made an idol of peace. They value peace more than God's plan for the nation of Israel. Uh, they're unwilling to sacrifice some days of battle, uh, some days of warring against these oppressors, uh, they're unwilling to sacrifice that. And so it seems that the people have fallen into not only a contentment, but really very much making peace an idol in their lives, valuing it more than uh, God's plan. Listen, there have been times in, in our history as a nation that um, peace was not possible uh, if our nation was to survive. Uh, consider World War II. Uh, the Japanese attacked our nation uh, the Germans clearly had a strong intention of doing so. Uh, we understand that from uh, those things that have been uncovered in history. Um, if, Gary, we had not been willing to sacrifice whatever false peace we had uh, to do battle against our enemies, I dare say this nation would not exist as the United States of America today. Uh, and so you have to kind of understand this passage through through the lens of something that might be more familiar to us. Sometimes peace is just not possible. Uh, if, if, a, if a nation is going to accomplish what God desires it to accomplish, and uh, we, we have to take great care not to make an idol of peace. That's, that's the situation here. Uh, the, the people lack a leader because he's not leading, uh, and they lack a desire to be led because it seems they've made very much made an idol of peace. So you might look at this and say, well, why did they, why did they raise up this army of 3,000 men then? If they're not going to uh, go into battle with the Philistines, if they're not going, uh, hoping at least that Samson uh, will rise up and say, well, okay, I, I recognize God's call upon my life and God's plan for me to lead you into battle and throw off this oppression so we get back to where God wants us to be. Uh, if that's not the, why, why'd they do that? Well, Gary, I think they, had, they knew some things about Samson's strength. Uh, and they, I think they, they thought, you know what, we, we probably need thousands of men to go and arrest this guy so that we don't have a bigger problem than we have with the Philistines. Now, maybe, maybe they hoped that Samson would lead this army of 3,000 into battle, but I don't think that's the case. 
they surely would have needed more than 3,000 men to defeat the Philistines at this point. And I think they simply said, oh, this is a strong guy. <laughs> this is a guy who's demonstrated some superhuman abilities. And uh, if we're going to arrest him and keep the peace with the Philistines, we're going we're to need some manpower to do that. Look at the second part of verse 12, please. Samson said unto them, swear unto me that ye, y'all, will not fall upon me yourselves. He seems to say, listen, we'll let you arrest me and do what you will, but just promise me, please, that you won't kill me. Uh, if you're going to arrest me and turn me over to the Philistines, okay, but promise me that you won't kill me. They spake unto him, verse 13, saying, no, but we will bind thee fast. We're going to bind you up. We're going to tie you up and deliver thee, deliver you into their hands. But surely we will not kill thee. So he asked, they agree. Uh, and they bound him with two new cords and brought him up from the rock. Uh, do you ever wonder why did he permit this? You ever wonder why, why did Samson permit this? Why did he just throw them off? Couldn't, couldn't he have reasonably expected to do that? Why, why would he permit this? I think there's, some, there's probably some laudable explanations. Um, if he defended himself, Zach, he'd be fighting against his own people here, right? I mean, if they came to get him and, and, and he defended himself, he would have had to fight against his own people. Don't think he wanted to do that, particularly not in front of the Philistines. Also think that he recognized that if he did that, uh, he would have left those 3,000 men of Judah vulnerable to an angry Philistine army. And he didn't want to do that. He did not want to do that. So his decision to allow them to arrest him uh, may have been very much motivated by uh, a, a desire that they be protected. Although still, I think we could say he would have been much better to rise up and say, hey, listen, we need to throw these guys off. You've got 3,000. Let's get organized. Let's get more men. And let's go and throw off this army. Well, the Lord graciously enters into the equation again. Please see verse 14. Uh, the Bible says, when, And when he came unto Lehi, jaw, the Philistines shouted against him. And they got all psyched up. They're, they're pumped up. They've got him. They've got this guy that uh, they want revenge against. And uh, there, there's, a, there's a celebration probably is what this shouting is. And, and this, is, this is the good part uh, of the verse, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, uh, and the cords that were upon his arms, the ropes that were upon his arms, became as flax that burnt with fire. Just like that flax, dry flax that burn up in the fire that the foxes started, uh, the, the strong uh, cords on his arms and his wrists, they, uh, they became very weak. Uh, and his bands loosed from off his hands. The Spirit of God uh, enters into the equation here and liberates Samson from his captors, um, and he takes up a, quote, new jawbone of an ass and slays a thousand of the Philistines. See this here uh, in verse 15. He, Samson, uh, found a new jawbone of an ass. Please underline or circle the word new. The Holy Spirit did not put that there by mistake. It's in the Hebrew. That's why it's in the English. Uh, it's, and it's, it's key. He, he found a new jawbone of an ass, and he put forth his hand and took it and slew a thousand men therewith. He picked up this jawbone, and he killed a thousand enemies uh, with it. Verse 16 says this, And Samson said, With the jawbone of an ass, heaps upon heaps, with the jaw of an ass have I slain. How many men? What does it say? What does it say? A thousand. With a jawbone, Brother Ray. Not with a sword or spear uh, or an a automatic rifle. He picked up a jawbone and he slew a thousand men. Now, I want to ask you a question. In verse 14, has he picked up the jawbone yet? Has he? No. Is he in God's will there? Is he, is he carrying out what God, the purpose? No, I don't think he is. I don't think he is. In verse 14, uh, you know, he's been arrested by his own people 
in large part because he has not been leading them to accomplish what God wants. In verse 14, I don't think you see Samson in God's will at all. And yet, the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and loosed him. Uh, I got a G word for that, Brother Art, and it's grace. It's grace. Uh, this is God's man. This is the man that, that God put the Nazarite vow on, even from the womb. This is the man that God had chosen. Uh, God is going to protect this man from being killed, even though he has not been seeking God and living according to God's will. Uh, he, he went down and he sought an, an unbelieving spouse, and uh, he, he flew off in a rage and, and, and killed men, and uh, you know, he, he burnt field and all the things that he's doing are, are his own, his, his own intentions, his own plans. None of it seems to be God's plan. We've said that God has worked through it as he can as a sovereign God, but God has not been leading and directing here. Samson has not sought God's leading and direction. So the spirit, the fact that the spirit of the Lord came upon him and loosed him in verse 14 uh, for me, it has grace all over it. Uh, Gary, all caps, highlighted and underscored. This is, this is God graciously stepping in uh, and treating Samson better than he deserves to be treated here. Now, I want to say this. Um, in verse 15 and 16, um, I believe that the need for grace becomes that much greater uh, it becomes that much greater because I think there's a problem with this jawbone. Did you hear that? I think there's a problem with this jawbone. You ever stop to think about that? God graciously empowered Samson to kill a thousand men with this jawbone. But I think there's a problem with the jawbone. How is it described? How is it described? New. Isn't that interesting? Kind of like he went down to Walmart, got himself a new jawbone, Gary. Old one wore out. It's not that. It's not that at all. It's new in the sense that it is recently slaughtered. Um, this is, this is, it's new in the sense that it's not an old, dried-out jawbone. It's not that. It's not an old, dried-out jawbone. It's new in the sense that it was wet or dripping. Uh, the underlying word has that idea. The underlying word in one place in Isaiah 1 and verse 6, make a note please. Uh, the word new in Isaiah 1 and verse 6 is translated putrefying, uh, which has the idea of decaying offensively or to rot. I don't often talk about roadkill in my messages, Sister Effie. May I tonight? Would that be okay? With your permission? If you uh, see something dead on the side of the road, before it's all dried out, which is kind of gross, but before it's all dried out and not all that nasty any longer, what is it going to be? Church. It's going to be nasty, right? It's going to be gross. Carolyn, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, going to be, it's going to be putrefying. It's going to be wet and gross and stinky and nasty. Um, the word new here, it's new in the sense that it's fairly recently killed and, and not, not dried out and not like something that isn't a dead animal. May I say it that way? Um, it's, it's newly killed and gross still. That a problem? Is that a problem? Is this a suitable weapon for Samson, Zachary? Why not? Why not? Zach said, nah. <laughs> nah, Dad, not a suitable weapon for Samson. Why? Because this is a man who has had a Nazarite vow placed upon his life by God from the womb forward until the, the day that we're reading of right here, uh, which vow prohibited him from touching what? Dead animal. 
This is a chunk of a dead animal. That's the technical term. That's the theological term, Brother Garcia, chunk of a dead animal. This specifically prohibited by his Nazarite vow. The word new is not just a random word. It doesn't mean, oh, good, Samson got a new jawbone. Now, you know, it's not that, Marilyn. It's this is something that he should not have been messing with. And yet, and yet, God, the Holy Spirit came upon him in, in verse 14. Did God know that in verse 15, uh, Samson was going to pick up a chunk of a dead animal? Did God know that? My God is omniscient, so is yours. <laughs> uh, he knew. He knew that when he came upon Samson in verse 14 and gave him supernatural power to be loosed from the cords that were upon him, the Lord knew that he would also violate his vow, well, the vow that God had put upon his life. He would violate his vow immediately. God knew that. And yet, God graciously allowed Samson to be loosed and to defend himself with this prohibited thing, this gross, newly slaughtered jawbone, newly dead donkey jaw bone, God allowed him to take that, to be loosed and to take that, and to slay a thousand men in order to defend himself. Why would God do that? Why would God do that? This is not God's will that he would act in violation of his vow, which he has already, took the honey from the lion carcass. Anybody do that this week, Marilyn? Can you buy honey that way? Comes with the carcass. You can't, right? It's gross. I'm sorry. Carolyn, I'm trying to gross out everyone tonight. At least we'll pay attention and stay, stay awake tonight. Uh, no, you didn't, and, and Samson should not have because it was a violation of his, his Nazarite vow, his special set-apartness that God had called him to, and the outward signs of that special set-apartness that God had called him to. Why would God allow him to use this thing that violated his vow to kill, to defend himself and kill a thousand. Why would God allow that? Well, clearly, Brother Ray, it's a picture of grace again. God treated Samson graciously and mercifully in verse 14, and God treated Samson graciously and mercifully in verse 15. And, and listen, I don't think it's a normal thing to be able to kill someone with a jawbone, and I certainly don't think it's a normal thing to be able to kill a thousand uh, men, uh, troops, uh, an army, thousand uh, uh, soldiers in an army with a jawbone. I don't think that's a normal thing. I don't think you could reasonably expect to accomplish that. So there's something supernatural happening here. God, the same Holy Spirit who acted in verse 14, is clearly acting in verses 15 and 16 and 17, despite Samson's disobedience, despite the fact that he's dishonored his vow. There's grace here, and there's mercy here. God is both, and both are pictured here. Praise God for his grace and his mercy. But there's even more here. God is acting mercifully and graciously here, not just because. You understand his grace and his mercy are purposeful, right? They're purposeful. Art, the grace that I know when I knew when I placed my faith in Christ was for my salvation, right? God's grace has a purpose. Uh, God has empowered Samson here in that sense of grace, but God is treating him graciously here for a purpose. His grace is always purposeful. And in this case, the purpose of his grace is that God's sovereign will would be carried out. God is going to have these, God is going to have these um, unbelieving Philistines who are oppressing his people to be conquered one way or another. Whether it's Samson 
humbly seeking God and organizing an army and going out with God's plan and God's time to begin conquering uh, the enemy of God's people. Uh, If it's that way, great, but it's not. Or if it's this way, Samson being disobedient and disobedient and disobedient, God is going to sovereignly accomplish his sovereign will no matter what. So he's graciously empowering Samson with his grace so that God's will can be accomplished. I believe um, this is just a bigger example of what we saw at the end of chapter 14. God allowed Samson to go off in a rage and kill those 30 men. Samson did it so that he could bring their stuff back and pay off the men who won the riddle, the riddle contest, right? Uh, But God's purpose was that the enemy would begin to be defeated, even if it was just the first 30. And now we have a thousand of the enemy conquered. And whatever the great slaughter was before that, we don't have a number, but we know that God has worked in Samson's disobedience graciously to accomplish God's sovereign will. I don't know about you, but I think that's awesome. Marilyn, I don't think Samson's decisions were awesome, but I I find the fact that God can work um, when he chooses to, either through our obedience or disobedience, to accomplish what he wants, that's awesome. God will accomplish his will no matter no matter how his people act, no matter what choices we make. Well, someone will say, well, okay, pastor, great. I guess we can do whatever we want. God will accomplish his will. No, that's not his will. It's not his will that we just kind of sit back and say, hey, we'll do whatever we want, God. God is sovereign. No, Paul would say, God forbid. Um, God prefers and, and commands us to specific areas of service and the Great Commission and all the things that Uh, We've studied so much, but understand that God will accomplish his plan whether we play along or not, whether we play along or not. He's a sovereign God. It's an awesome, awesome truth and an awesome, praiseworthy attribute of God. In Job 42 and verse 2, get down a couple of cross-references, please. Uh, This is uh, after Job has been corrected by God uh, through those nature passages there. Uh, Job says, he's talking to God, he says, I know that thou canst do everything. Lord, I know that thou, you can do everything. And God is not only omnipotent, not only all-powerful, but he will exercise his power to accomplish his sovereign will whenever and however and wherever he chooses. Lamentations 3 and verse 37, the Bible says, um, Who is he that saith, and it cometh to pass, when the Lord commandeth it not? Who can say, I'm going to do this, or I, I will that this be accomplished? Who could say that and see it accomplished unless God desired that it would be accomplished? The answer, of course, is no one. The Lord alone is sovereign. Would you turn back to Proverbs uh, 16 just for a moment? Uh, I should say forward, turn forward to to Proverbs 16 uh, just for a moment, please. Actually, don't do that. Turn to Isaiah 45. Forgive me. Don't get angry. Be gracious toward the pastor. Uh, Isaiah 45. Go there, please. As you're going there, I'll read Proverbs 16 and verse 33. That, that verse says, The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing of is of the Lord. Things that seem random in life are not random at all. They are very much under God's sovereign control. That is a good thing. Isaiah 45 and verse 5. We looked at some of these verses here on Sunday. They're going to sound familiar, but I want to begin. Uh, I'm going to read three, just three verses here. Read a couple of verses that we saw on Sunday. I want you to see the, the third verse. Isaiah 45 and verse 5, um, the Lord says, I am the Lord, there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me. They, 
sorry, that they may know from the rising of the sun, from the west, that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. Now please see verse 7. The Lord says, I form the light. Remember, he spoke it into existence. And create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Understand that this verse is not saying God authors evil. The underlying word here is used with the, in the sense of the opposite of peace. Uh, God can cause his people to be at peace, or God can cause his people uh, to enter into battle with their enemies. That, that's the idea. God says, I form the light and create darkness. I make both peace and create evil or unrest, the opposite of peace. God is sovereign. He will bring to pass that which he desires to bring to pass no matter what. He's an awesome God. Brother Ray, he, he's a great God. He desires to work through his people. And what a wonderful thing when we permit that. But whether or not we do, he will accomplish his sovereign will. Uh, come back to our passage, please, and, and see verse 17. I want to just quickly uh, see the last several verses of the chapter, and we're done. Verse 17 says this, It came to pass when he made an end of speaking that he cast away the jawbone, Samson, called the place Ramath Lahai. This be a literal, trans, this is the transliteration. It has the idea of casting down could be lifting up, but in this case, be casting down a jawbone. He called it the place where he cast down the jawbone. Um, Dr. Sorensen notes that the, Philist the Philistines had a tradition of naming the high places where they conducted false worship of idols after the name of the idol. And there's some suggestion here that Samson may have mocked this practice by naming the place after the jawbone of an ass. He's probably mocking them by calling it this. That's just kind of interesting. Um, verse 18 is interesting also. Um, the Bible says, he, Samson, was sore athirst. He just killed a thousand men with the jawbone. Now he's thirsty. He called on the Lord and said, Thou hast given this great deliverance into the hand of thy servant, and now shall I die for thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised, those faithless Philistines? Does that sound like gratitude to you? <laughs> Does it? There's some gratitude there, but it's mixed, isn't it? The Bible says, Thou hast given this great deliverance into the hand of thy servant. That part's good. He's recognizing that God gave him the victory graciously. God, you gave me that victory. And he says, now, and now shall I die for thirst and fall in the hand of the uncircumcised? It sounds a little bit like he's being whiny and demanding, kind of like he had been when he wanted that particular wife back at Timnath. Um... That's what I see here. He's thankful that God gave him deliverance graciously, but there's a little bit of whininess and demanding here that um, don't think fits well. Nonetheless, the Lord is gracious again, Gary. The Lord is gracious again. In verse 19, the Bible says, but God clave and hollow place that was in the jaw. In the what? In the what? Jaw. His own jaw? Zach, this is the old jawbone, it would seem to be, right? That thing that he wasn't supposed to, thing that he wasn't supposed to even have. God gave a hollow place that was in the jaw, and there came what? Water there out. When he had drunk, his spirit came again, and he was revived. He revived. Wherefore, he, wherefore, or therefore, he called the name thereof En 
Hekore, which is in Lehi, jaw, unto this day. And Hekore uh, literally could be translated the well or the spring of him that called or cried. Uh, he called out to God. God gave him a spring of water. And God gave him a spring of water from that jawbone. That's what it says. By the way, some of the other translations have this reading differently. They don't have it coming from the jawbone, but quite confident that our King James translators have it right uh, and that they have relied upon the preserved words of God in making the translation as they have. Uh, our, our translation is important. If you have a different place the water is coming from, I don't think the picture of grace that you have here is, is quite as strong. God graciously allowed Samson to use that forbidden thing to defend himself and to slay a thousand men. God accomplished his will through that. And God graciously provided not only protection, but the water <laughs> that Samson needed physically for himself from that same forbidden thing. Water poured out of that thing um, might have died without that. What a gracious God we have. God used that forbidden thing both to accomplish his sovereign purpose, his will, and also to provide for and to care for Samson, who had not been entirely obedient by any stretch of the imagination. Gary, we are not entirely perfectly obedient by any stretch of the imagination either. And yet we meet God's mercy and his grace and I don't know about you, but I am terribly glad for that tonight. We have a gracious God who is merciful toward us. Uh, we understand tonight that's made possible by the blood of Christ uh, and the cross where he died to pay the price for our sins. I don't know about you, Brother Art, but I'm very grateful for that tonight. Let's stop there and pray, please. Father, thank you tonight for this passage. Lord, it's, it's extraordinary in so many ways. Father, we see here tonight a number of things, and some of which we've, we've just touched on for time's sake. But Lord, I thank you tonight that for me, what, what jumps off these pages, what cries out uh, from these pages to me is, is just how very gracious you are toward your people. Lord, we are so very undeserving of the salvation that we have. Lord, we're so very undeserving of the blessings, the, the profound blessings that we know in our lives tonight. Lord, your grace jumps off the pages of Scripture tonight, and I'm so very thankful for it. Lord, I pray that you help us tonight to see it in scripture, but also to see it in our own lives. Lord, you're no less gracious to us today than you were to Samson in his day. Father, you're no less merciful to us today than you were to Samson in his day. Lord, I, I praise you. I, I worship you and thank you tonight. Lord, I praise you for your grace and your mercy. I do not deserve it but I am grateful for it. Lord, I pray tonight that we would never lose sight of your grace and mercy. Lord, I pray tonight that we would never lose sight of the, the Bible truth that you are a sovereign God. You will accomplish what you set out to accomplish no matter what. Lord, you're awesome, truly mighty and awesome. I praise you tonight. I thank you tonight for who you are and what you're like. And Lord, I, I pray tonight that we not take your sovereignty and make that an excuse to disobey. Lord, I pray tonight that the truth of your sovereignty and the fact that you will accomplish that which you desire to accomplish no matter what would not be an excuse for us to not yield to you and to serve you according to your word and according to your leading. 
Lord, we understand tonight. It's your desire that we would submit to you, give ourselves as a, a living sacrifice unto you, to be used of you in, in thy service, Lord, for thy great purposes. Understand tonight, Father, that you are pleased when we give ourselves and yield to you and allow you to use us. Lord, what an amazing privilege we have to be used of you as we give ourselves to you. And so, Lord, I pray tonight that we not let your sovereignty be an, ex uh, an excuse to not yield and obey you. Lord, I pray as we do just that, as we yield to you and find your, the filling of the Spirit, the grace to serve and to obey, that that would please you and bring you honor and glory alike. Lord, I love you. Thank you tonight for your words and, and for the truth that they reveal. Help us to reverence your words and, Lord, to reverence you, your authority over us. Father, I love you. I thank you. I pray all of this in Jesus' name.